We are a people that follow after those things that make for peace, love, and unity. It is our desire that others' feet may walk in the same. We do deny and bear our testimony against all strife and wars and contentions. For nearly 250 years, many Quakers, especially those who were reported ministers, kept journals in which they recorded the inward work of God in their souls and the outward manifestations of God's presence and will in their lives. One estimate suggests that there are still more than 3,000 of these journals extant, many published by past generations, some still available in manuscripts in various Quaker historical and digital collections. It is a spiritual literature carefully cultivated, and its publication was taken with great seriousness, for it served as a primer on Quaker spiritual life for following generations. The number of these journals is so large that it rivals the spiritual literature of the Roman Catholic Church on what it means to live in the Spirit and do God's will. One of the best known of these works, the Journal of John Woman, has remained in print for nearly 230 years and is considered a spiritual classic, both within and outside the Society of Friends. Woman was a New Jersey storekeeper, a recorded minister, and a central figure in the early anti-slavery movement. His journal is particularly useful for its record of the challenges he faced in living God's will in the face of wars and injustices of his day, and in coping with the problems presented by making a living. In Woolman's case, it was a too successful effort that required spiritual pruning. Woolman's anti-slavery witness began when, at the age of 23, he refused to write a bill of sale for a slave. His refusal was based on his clear recognition that slavery was inconsistent with Christianity. Woolman was motivated by both the concern for the slaves and for the slave owners. He labored with the slave owners, gently but firmly, as equally concerned for their spiritual well-being as he was for the spiritual and physical well-being of the slaves. Further, he saw how he himself sometimes inadvertently contributed to the slavery system by using the products it produced, products that made it lucrative and sustained it. Thus he began wearing only undyed clothes since slavery was involved in the rich trade of dye production. When Woolman made religious visits to slave owners, he regularly left money for the slaves who waited upon him. When Woolman's store business flourished, he felt a stop in his mind. He was concerned that too much business would distract him from God's call upon his life. Indeed, he gave up retail trade so that he could focus more faithfully on God's call. Woman believed that buying superfluous items violated the law of love, and the result was to increase the misery in the world by requiring unnecessary labor. If we, woman insisted, kept our desires strictly upon what was needed, we would live in harmony with God's design and have our needs met with a moderate amount of labor. 
Woolman understood that the drive to satisfy our covetous and unnecessary desires is a key cause of much social and spiritual misery. Woolman wrote that he was, quote, desirous to embrace every opportunity of being inwardly acquainted with the hardship and difficulties of my fellow creatures, unquote. For example, that meant that he gave up a comfortable cabin on his journey in ministry to England, rather bunked with his sailors in steerage. He also walked in England, rather than use coaches, when he saw the carriage horses were abused and overworked. Chapter 7, Section I Addressing the general gathering of conservative friends in 2006, Jack Smith used early friends' concept of the Lamb's War to call friends away from materialistic secularism and back to obedience to Christ in all aspects of our lives. After reviewing the meaning of the Lamb's War, as outlined in Chapter 7, Section B, Smith pointed out that early friends understood that Jesus Christ was leading them, providing them with spiritual weapons, and sustaining them as they submitted to the cross of Christ, which is the power of God. The remainder of Jack's address is as follows. Conditions changed dramatically after 1689, when, with the passage of the Act of Toleration, friends found permanent relief from the great sufferings they had endured. With the softening of the government's effort to stamp out religious dissent, came a softening of the First Friends' stridency and radicalism, ushering in an era now called quietism. The 1689 London Yearly Meeting advised, quote, Walk wisely and circumspectly towards all men, in the peaceable spirit of Jesus Christ, giving no offense nor occasion to those in outward government, nor away to any controversies, heats, or distractions of this world, about kingdoms thereof, but pray for the good of all, and submit all to that divine power and wisdom which rules over the kingdoms of men. Unquote. The leadership three years later wrote, quote, Let all study to be quiet in their minds, their own business, and in God's holy fear. Unquote. In his Let Your Words Be Few, Richard Bauman observes that the new approach was, quote, not war but diplomacy, unquote. With the onset of quietism, friends abandoned the Lamb's War and no longer expected to be instruments for the conversion of the entire world to Christ's way. Ohio Yearly Meeting is the last yearly meeting retaining significant aspects of its quietist heritage. I believe that conservative friends are now called to be instruments for God's work under dramatically changing conditions is the era of toleration slipping away to be replaced by challenges that friends have not known for more than three decades? Friends have experienced a slow but steady accommodation to the world. However, important components of Christian unprogrammed faith remain in Ohio Yearly Meeting and are attracting people's attention worldwide. We understand that Jesus Christ is the Word of God, sought and found here with us. We know that the scriptures were inspired by the word and have been preserved by God for our use for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction. 
we retain our ways of recognizing and nurturing God's gifts among us. We affirm that all life is under the care of our Lord. Are we, even now, being called to a new work in God's kingdom? The impact on us individually and as a people could be enormous. Our attitudes, like much of today's world, are influenced by the 18th century Enlightenment's conviction that human reason is the road to all truth. This mindset teaches us to question everything and to disdain faith. It fosters a materialistic secularism that functions in many ways like a religion. It views the scientific progress as the means to come to knowledge about all reality. As Wilmer Cooper adds, quote, Basic distinctions between the holy and the profane, the sacred and the secular, even between good and evil, are ignored, if not erased. Unquote. Liberal Quakerism asserts that there is that of God in everyone. Again, Wilmer Cooper, quote, Insofar as that of God in everyone has theological meaning today, its association with Christ has been largely abandoned whereas for George Fox, this identification was essential. It has also come to mean that God, as they understand the deity, has been parceled out among all persons so that everyone has a piece of God within, and that it is that this gives worth and dignity to human beings. Thus, the net effect is a degeneration of God and an exaltation of humanity. Somehow, this belies Fox's overwhelming sense that the power of the Lord God is over all. Unquote. Secular humanism, with its attendant globalizations, dominates Western Europe, is gaining in the United States, and expects to permeate the world. Opposed in the U.S. by evangelical Christians and Roman Catholics, it is being challenged worldwide by an increasingly militant Islam. The gap in this country between rich and poor widens. The media and the entertainment industry, which encourage a materialistic consuming society, increasingly influence our culture, and even some Christian worship services become a type of superficial entertainment. The physical environment is being plundered and irretrievably changed with extinctions of many species and the loss of essential ecological services. We expect a variety of food year-round, sometimes transporting it 6,000 miles. Our federal debt has grown to unimaginable size and depends for financing on people in other parts of the world. The sustainability of all this must be questioned. What will happen when we reach the breaking point? How far off is that? Will we be prepared if something more cataclysmic than 9-11 occurs? We need to prepare for a future that may quickly become the present. You know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly, as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers, are not in darkness, so that this day should not surprise you like a thief. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day, We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. 
What do we need to prepare ourselves? Jesus spoke about preparation in the parable of the wise and foolish virgins. Our best preparation is learning faithful trust, attention, and obedience to God through Christ. We Westerners enjoy and now expect many blessings. Lights that turn on with a flick of a switch, safe water that pours from our faucets, dependable transportation, abundant consumer goods, and personal safety as we walk, travel, work, and worship. There are many more. Do we assume that these blessings will continue? Can they continue? Do we require these blessings in order to feel blessed? Could we feel blessed under adversity? Early friends lived under adversity. They were beaten, imprisoned, and even killed. They were hauled before judges and had their goods taken. They were social outcasts, yet they thrived and friends' movement grew and flourished. They saw themselves in the midst of the Lamb's War, that epic struggle between the Lamb, Jesus Christ, and Satan with his forces of evil. In this struggle, there is no place for lukewarmness. In the Lamb's War, Christians are called to follow Christ into battle as citizens of his kingdom, prepared and equipped by him. Paul described that equipment. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then, with the belts of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in its place, and with your feet, fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. The Lamb's war seems foolish to the world, for following Christ into that battle requires following the way of the cross. Jesus yielded himself to his Father's will and suffered, allowing the forces of evil to destroy his life. In his resurrection, which we experience through his continuing presence among us, we find God's ultimate victory over evil. As Christians, we must follow Christ in truth, righteousness, peace, and faith through whatever outward circumstances he leads us. We must be prepared both to suffer and to know Christ's joy. We are a people that follow after those things that make for peace, love, and unity. It is our desire that others' feet may walk in the same. We do deny and bear our testimony against all strife and wars and contention. This podcast has presented a portion of the book Traditional Quaker Christianity. The book was assembled and edited by Terry Wallace, Jack and Susan Smith, and Arthur Burke. It was read by Chip Thomas and the audio edited by the same. The words for our musical introduction are from Margaret Fell's Letter to the King in 1660. They were arranged and sung by Paulette Meyer. We welcome feedback on this and any of our podcast episodes. 
please email us at oymconservative at gmail.com.